Good morning, everyone. So good to see you today, and it's so good to be together. I thank God for this privilege. It is indeed a privilege to be able to worship Him together, to experience Him. I echo what Pastor Dwight said just a little bit ago about the huddle. It was a magical time of being together, hearing the testimonies, a highlight, the heightened mortgage getting paid off, and um, those types of things were, and the food afterwards. That was fun, to be able to interact and fellowship. You know, we found out that one of our core concepts or values of this church is we like to fellowship and that's why we built such a large foyer, such a large lobby out there so we would be able to uh, experience that and have several hundred people there at once. So thank you to everybody who helped out with that, prepared food or did anything like that. Uh, Let's hear it for all those people that just volunteered, the musicians, everybody. Thank you very much. We have been in a message series in on faith in action, and we've gone back into the book of Genesis to Abraham, who's considered the father of faith. And we have talked about him and some of his experiences. He hears the voice of God, and from a land where he has a culture of mixed signals with many gods, he hears the voice of the living God, and he hears him who says, follow me, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And he follows God, and he worships God, and he does great as he begins his journey of faith with God. But as happens from time to time, a person will slip and fall, stumble. They will get life out of balance. They will do something that is wrong. They will sin in some way. And then they live to regret that. And they don't feel comfortable about it. And they realize that. And that's what we talked about last week. Faith fumbles. But just like a good football player who will have a fumble, they'll try to recover that ball. Or if they get tackled, they'll try to still be headed toward their end zone. They're not going to quit the game just because he got tackled. They don't quit the game just because he had a fumble. It tells us in the epistles of John, my little children, I write these things to you, that you sin not. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So what does that mean? That means if you blow it and you have a problem and you fumble and you say, I don't know, man, I messed up, you confess to him, I messed up, I I did wrong, I sinned. And he forgives you and he cleanses you, the scripture says, from all unrighteousness, justifying you as if you had never sinned and picks you up and says, now we're dusting you off, let's get going again. And that's what he does to us. Aren't you glad for a God that has a plan in place like that? It doesn't justify us doing stupid type of sin, no. Not that. It's not just, hey, go do what you want. No, it's not that. We live holy lives following him, growing in him, but we're human and we have those problems and we need it. And so today is refocus faith. Refocus faith. And so as our faith series comes to an end, you might need to refocus somewhere along the way. And if you do, then maybe this message will be a help to you, though it is taken from so long ago in the Older Testament. Now, The Bible, earlier than this passage, back in chapter 2, God is saying to us that he has created marriage between a man and a woman, and he says, for this cause, this cause being marriage, a man leaves home, marries his wife, and cleaves to her, and the two become one flesh. And what he's talking about there is the idea and the concept of marriage. He has created this. As a matter of fact, he gave an instruction to Adam and Eve early on. He said, I want you to tend the garden, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply. So when he tells them, I want the idea of multiplication, it is a beautiful thing that he has said to them, I want you as a unit to go forward in this life. Now, our media obsesses with romance. 
William and Kate, Harry and Megan, and right now Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. She won hardware at the Grammys last week. He's hoping to win some tonight in the Super Bowl. But did you know that February the 7th through February the 14th is considered National Marriage Week in the United States? Look it up, I did, and found out that it is National Marriage Week in the United States. Some of you sitting here today are single. Some of you are single by choice. Some of you are single just because life has happened this way and you're widowed. Some of you may say, well, uh, my marriage ended, it broke up, whatever happened to it, and so you have these experiences. But I want to encourage you to know that a minister needs to preach about a subject like this from time to time. And so as we look at this passage, the idea for me is not to make you feel like chopped liver. The idea for me is to establish truth and baselines for us to understand as a congregation that when we come up against the variables of life, we'll be able to go back to the bottom line that God has set up for us, and in, in understanding that, we'll be able to draw our life forward from that point, because we have many confusing signals given today. Now, Pastor Dwight has already reminded you that it is Valentine's week, and uh, he specifically challenged the guys, but I believe that sparks are going to fly this week in a special and a unique way. Consumers in the United States are going to spend somewhere around $26 billion, with a B dollars on Valentine's Day this year, according to the Consumer Report. 52% of consumers will participate in some way in something that has to do with Valentine's. And that's kind of interesting. 57% will involve themselves with getting candy. You can still get some at Rite Aid. I did not buy them out. <laughs> but I went there and I've already bought some. But that won't be all she'll get. Did you know out of that 25 or $26 billion, the average person spends $185.81 per person? Just do the math and you'll see, there it is. And how many roses do you think are grown for Valentine's season? How many do you think? If you said 224 billion, nope, you'd be wrong. But if you said 224 million, you would be right. They're grown specifically for Valentine's Day. Now, yesterday I was at the mall and I was there to check out. I had to get some new glasses, so I picked some up. And then I waddled on down to the, to the uh, stairway and, and zipped on down some steps or whatever and went over to where Barnes & Noble temporarily is, uh, where Models was or whatever, and then uh, scooted back down to the lids where they have the hats. Thought about getting a, an eagle hat, just thought about it. I didn't. But... Uh, <laughs> may actually do it sometime. They're my second team. The Chiefs are my first, but I don't really follow football closely. I'm glad baseball's about to begin. Who cares what I think, but that's just added in, just free of charge. So I'm walking along, and I come by this jewelry store over here, and as I'm coming by that jewelry store, I'm by myself walking through the mall, and I have to talk to somebody and tell them a statistic that I have for my message. So I look around, and there's a couple I've never met before. I said, hey, hey, look. Look at that, look at that store, that jewelry store. You see how busy that is? They almost never have anybody in there. But look at all those people. And did you know that six million people will get engaged on Valentine? They didn't care. They smiled politely. They went their way. And I went on down to Barnes and Noble and bought nothing. <laughs> Wasted trip. Last week Abraham fumbled his faith, but today he's refocusing his faith. Now, how many of you have been to the optometrist and had your eyes dilated like your pupils dilated? Raise your hand if you have. Isn't that a weird feeling? 
You kind of get your, and then you can see virtually nothing. I mean, it's like, wow, you have to wait a while. If you're at the mall, you have to go sit down in one of those chairs so it can massage your back while you just let that just dissipate a little bit, right? And so it's, it's an interesting feeling. When I got these glasses yesterday, the guy said to me, he said, now, don't drive right away with these glasses. Go put on your old glasses, drive with them. And I thought, eh, I'm German, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I'll do what I want to do. And so I was walking out to my car finally, had these glasses on, and I thought, no, he's smarter than me, he's smarter than me. And finally I humbled myself to the knowledge that man had, took these off, put my old glasses on, drove home like a good boy, and made it all the way and didn't hit anybody. So it was a good experience. I can't see my Bible today, but it was a good experience yesterday. <laughs> no, I'm getting used to him, I guess. Hey, getting old and changing my prescription. So what we want to do is we want to look at five great insights today from this passage in Genesis 24. It's a power passage. It is one of those power passages. And when you read it, you see insights just emerging. We're just going to limit it to five to see the importance of establishing a solid foundation for a strong marriage. The first insight is this, and I think you'll agree. There is a right time for marriage. Billy Graham, in a message I was watching this week from him, he said, he said it is a it is a terrible thing to marry someone who is immature. And he said, age has nothing to do with maturity. You can be 40 and very immature. You can be 15 and very immature. You can be 15 and very mature, or you can be 40 and very mature. I think I agree with the essence of what he was saying. Abraham is focusing on his fatherly role. He's 140 years old, and he has a role as a father that he is supposed to find a spouse for his son. Don't you wish we still obeyed that cultural moray but we moved on from that, I guess. So he is refocusing his, his plan of following God. In verse 7, it says that he knows that God has promised that he's going to make him a great nation, and he wants to be following what God has in mind for him. He's supposed to select a wife for his son, an important decision. And Abraham called on his most trusted servant, and he said to his servant, I need you to do something for me. This is a high-level mission. I want you to promise me that you will do exactly what I say. His servant puts his hand under Abraham's thigh, and he swore that he would obey what Abraham, his master, asked him to do. Now, Abraham said to him this. He said, if you go to the foreign country and the lady won't come back with you, then you're released from this oath. But if she'll come back with you, this oath stands. Now, if, if this servant would break this oath that he has made, guess what? He's going to get killed. That's an incentive plan to follow the plan. You do as I am asking you to do. You may have some protocol at your place of employment or the activities you involve yourself in. You have to follow those protocols. I was talking to someone who flies a small plane between services, and they talked to me about it. And I said, yeah, one time we went on a small plane ride, and we touched down at ABE, and then we went back up, and that guy let me fly the plane a little bit, and wow, we made it, and that was good. Another time we went out, Easton, a little airport, and we were, we were going to fly, and when we went out there, there was some frost on the wings, and he said, we're not flying tonight. Can't play with this stuff. So we didn't. So it's kind of like you have to listen to the law. This was that kind of law he had to listen to, and he had to understand this order. He is his most trusted, his prized servant. Verse 3, do not find Isaac a wife from the Canaanite women around us. They do not understand God like we do. They pursue the things of this world like we don't. We want you to find from the homeland. We want you to find them, verse 4 says, someone from among our people that would understand. You see, the goal 
of Abraham is to find someone who is compatible with Isaac, compatible with the family and his tradition, someone who is intellectually compatible, occupationally compatible, emotionally with the EQ, they are compatible, compatible with cultural background, and compatible with spirituality and with orthodoxy. We want you to do this. Now, Abraham knew it was absolutely important that he, that he slow down the rhythm of life and that he make a careful choice. The idea here isn't just to find anybody and they'll be good enough. The idea here isn't just, just to get somebody from around us that hasn't done any big crime activity. The idea is to find a good person. There is a time for marriage. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 says something that many ministers use in a message like this. Many of the top ministers of our culture right now use this passage. Many of the people that have written commentaries use this passage that I'm getting ready to read to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Talking to a Christian, it's the Apostle Paul writing this. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I want to illustrate what I'm saying to you because in our Christian culture, we don't even understand this and most people do not practice this even in our Christian culture. So I'm going to explain it to you and understand that when I'm doing it, I'm sounding very old-fashioned. I'm sounding out of touch with reality, but I'm a minister and I'm not supposed to worry about that, so I won't. So here I go. He says, I don't want you to be unequally yoked. Here are two people that are getting ready to pledge their lives to each other. And as they're going to pledge their lives to each other, what he says is, I want you to bring your life together under the lordship of God, under the lordship of Christ. Now, as a follower of Christ, I assume you'll do this. But I know today that I'm talking to a lot of people in this room who did not do it this way. And I know that I'm talking to a lot of people who are sitting here who are not living this way. And so my idea is not to make you feel like chopped liver, but my idea is to give you the truth of the scripture that you will be able to be set free in the pattern of God and to go from where you are to follow him as implicitly as is possible. And this area is one of the most important we will ever cover in our life. So when he says, I want you to not be unequally yoked, let's give an illustration. Here's a guy, let's say he does, not know, he does not know God, he has no faith in Christ, he's got none of that zippity-doo-dah nothing. She, on the other hand, goes to the BWC, she is a wonderful lady, she reads her Bible, she knows Christ, she follows God, but she finds this guy and he's hot and he likes her and she's hot and so they say, let's get together. And so they get together as a couple and they start dating. So here's what happens, here's what happened. They get married and then what happens? Well, whose lordship is he under? Satan's. Whose lordship is she under? God's. You can answer out loud. It's okay. Satan and God. Now, the Bible talks about giving and taking. It talks about honoring one another. So there's sometimes that the husband is going to be leading in, in the way that the decisions of family, he's maybe more capable, more smart, and he's understanding that, and he's growing into that as a young guy and developing into that. But there's sometimes whenever she's smarter on something, so they're going to listen to what she has to say, so he's not going to be, listen, he's not going to be a chauvinistic pig treating her like a doormat. 
treating her like she's dumb, denigrate, no, I'm not going to do it. That would be absolutely asinine. Dumb, don't do that. So if she's in charge, then who's in charge of, above her? God. He's in charge, who's, above, who's in charge above him? Now he said, I believe in God when they were dating. He said, I go to church. He meant Christmas and Easter, mostly his grandma goes to church every Sunday. So my family goes to church. And he doesn't ever go to church. So what Paul says here is, you don't put this great big workhorse like we would see, almost like a Clydesdale down in Lancaster, and just hook it up to a brand new pony. You don't unevenly yoke it. So you may not agree with everything. It doesn't mean you have to, everybody has to marry a Wesley. And I don't even mean that. But Craig Rochelle says it this way, and he's a, he's a sounding voice in our, in, our, in our world today, and God has raised him up. I think he said it well when he said this. Do not give your heart to someone who has not given their heart to God. I think that translates that passage. Do not give your heart to someone who has not given their heart to God. Well, let's move on. It's getting very quiet. I don't want you to go to sleep. But uh, if you're listening to this weeks later, I know you're not asleep. So listen to this. You should involve God in your marriage. Now, we've said it many times. So many times you could quote it back. And you say, Kev, really? I've already heard that. But are you living it? Here's God, here's you, here's them. You both grow toward God. Guess what? You grow toward each other. Yesterday, while I had lunch over at Mission Barbecue, sitting there eating beef brisket with the bark on it, angels were over my shoulder humming the hallelujah chorus. Their blueberry dessert is to die for. They needed ice cream on it, but yeah, come on. I should have taken my own in there. And then I had some other, other stuff to go with. But there's really only two groups, you know, the meat and the dessert. And uh, the rest of it's just window dressing. Now, where in the world was I? I have no idea. No, I know where I was. The lady that always greets Pam and me when we go in there knows our name, calls us out by name, asks us how we're doing. We talk to her. Her son died in, in the uh, armed services, and we respect her highly. And, and uh, revere his memory. Uh, she said, I'm training this girl over here. I said, oh, cool. And so this girl, her name was Jane. She's in the 11th grade, and uh, she wants to be a school teacher, so I listened to her talk about that. And then she mentioned her boyfriend. We've been dating for two years, and people think we're married, but really we're not. I'm still in high school. And I said, Jane, I'm going to talk to you just for a minute. Now, I didn't plan on taking her offering after I preached to her, but I could have. I said, you know, here's God, here's you, here's them. If you grow toward God, guess what? You're going to have an opportunity to win. Oh, you can still have problems. You, you, you may even have people fumble. They may leave you, but you do that, you stand the best chance of winning. And I told her, you know, this is going to be the biggest decision you're going to make is who you marry. It's going to be the biggest decision outside of your relationship with God. And I said, you know what? My wife and I dated and we kept our eyes on each other, and it's helped us out just a whole lot to be able to go where we're going. So you need to involve God in your relationship, just like I said to her. And so the servant gets 10 camels. He gets all kinds of goods. He loads these camels down, and he heads off toward Nahor, verse 11 says, and he's in good shape. He's down toward the evening time. And when he gets there, the camels are kind of worn out, so they kneel down near the watering place, and the servant play, prays a very specific prayer, verses 12 through 14 of Genesis 24. And when you read that, you see that he is saying, let her come out, let her give me a drink, and then let her offer to take care 
of watering my camels. That's a fleece. When you put something out and say, God, is this really you? God, I'm trusting you. Here we go. And we deal with our relationship with God through that. And so he does, he does this. And so she comes out with this specific prayer having been prayed and absolutely no knowledge of it. And so he meets up with her at the well. Now, we like for all the country music love songs to fit our life. We like those love songs in pop music to fit our life. And we try to force the relationship because I just found him when I was just walking over through the mall. I just found him and he's the one. Or I went over to Chick-fil-A and you know that's a churchy place. So when I went into Chick-fil-A, I just thought, oh boy, anybody, he, he's got to be the one. She is the one, whatever. And so we had those kind of things happen. He sends up this fleece. Now, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. Look at this in the Good News Translation. Comes up on the screen. Look what it does. It says, sensible people. Everybody in this service is smart. The last service, I'm not sure, but I thought they were. <laughs> Everybody in this service is sensible. Can I get a witness in the house? Oh, yeah, you know you're bad to the bone. So sensible people, look at this. They do two things. What do they do? They see trouble coming. And what do they do? The second thing, they avoid it. So they see, they've got the brain engaged, and they say, I'm going to run from that. Because this is not a good relationship for me. And some of you may be dating right now in a relationship where God has not brought you together and you're not feeling good about it, and you need to run. <laughs> now, unthinking persons, dipsticks, unthinking persons, nobody in this service, but they will do two things. What will they do? They will walk right into it and they will regret it. And so we don't want that kind of stuff happening in our life. So when you ask somebody in the first few minutes, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. And they start telling you a little bit about themselves, their name, where they live, where they work, what their family's up to, blah, 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 blah. All of that kind of stuff. If in the first hour or two of a serious conversation they don't mention anything about God or Jesus, you might ought to run. Because if he's not near the top of their surface of their relationship, how in the name of sense could you give yourself to that? I'm just asking. When they say they are a Christian, make sure they know Jesus. Make sure they have a Bible. Make sure they go to that church actually more than Christmas and Easter. And there's a third thought, and that is this. Marry someone you do not want to live without. You don't want to marry somebody you, can, you could live with. You want to marry somebody you don't want to live without. Look at verse 16. Rebecca came out. The servant wasn't blind. He said, oh my goodness, she's beautiful. He found out that she was a virgin. And verse 18, she's physically fit because she's willing to help out. She's totally thoughtful because she would offer. They have a kindred background, which is right. She has a generous serving heart, which is awesome. Verse 9, what, a, what an incredible moment. He says, may I have a drink? She says, sure. He takes a sip, one translation says. And then she says, by the way, I'd be happy to water your camels. Now, I did some study on some camels. I have not ridden one. I had a chance to ride one in the Holy Land. I said, I don't do camels. So I stayed on the ground and watched other people just about nose plant off the camel. It was just amazing. I was thinking about it as I was preparing this message. But did you know that a camel can have somewhere between 20 and 45 gallons of water? You can drink that much? I don't know if you heard what I just said. This girl says, I will fill the trough. I will water your camels. 
Does she have a five-gallon bucket, a one-gallon bucket, a two-gallon bucket? I don't have a clue, but she's got her bucket on her shoulder. Surely it isn't a five-gallon. That weighs a lot. Are you kidding me? Do you realize how many trips she's going to have to make back over there if she's got a gallon? She's got about 200 trips to go. It's going to take her a long, stinking time to be able to do what she's asking. Do you realize the heart of this? And you know what your Bible says? The servant who went there, get a load of it. The servant who went there, he, listen, this is, this, is all, this is just straight up funny to me. He sat there and didn't say anything. I mean, he could have encouraged her. You go, girl. If you knew what I had in the camels, oh, if you knew where I came, if you knew the background of all, if you knew what was about to happen to you, girl, you're going to be remembered for generations for thousands of years. They're going to be talking about you. Oh, my goodness. It could get good for you. But he sat there silently. While she put all that water in. I mean, she brought all the groceries in. And he sat there in his lazy boy. <laughs> watching this lady. Proverbs 18 and 22. <clears throat> let's read it together. It's not long. Ready? Let's read. Find a good spouse. You find love. Man, are you kidding me? This is where it is. I've shared this before that I'm getting ready to share with you now, but it bears repeating because it might help some of you. Chuck Swindoll shared the illustration that one Sunday morning he had shared with the congregation that there was a single lady who had been praying for God to send her a husband. And so what she did was she went to the store, she bought some men's pants, put them on the end of her bed, and she said, God, I'm asking you, fill these pants with a man for me. Well, a lady called the office that week. She said, I'd like an appointment with Pastor Swindoll. They set up the appointment. She comes in. She says, my teenage son, I think he's straying. I think he has a problem. I don't know what's wrong with him. I can't figure it out. I went in his room the other day, and on the end of his bed, he has a bikini laying out. Swindoll said, that might be my fault. Were you at church last Sunday? She said, no, my <laughs> husband and my son were. He said, there's a story behind that. <laughs> Marry somebody you don't want to live without. Your marriage requires clear communication. The servant began this communication process by asking for a sip of water. She answered back, I'll give you and your camel's water. The servant then communicates through gifts in verse 53 and, and in that area. He says, oh my goodness, I have some gifts. Gives her a nose ring. I'm not even going there. <laughs> uh, if you're battling with your parents about a nose ring, don't take this as your passage to go with. This was their story. Yours will be different. And gave her other pricey bracelets and things like that. Now, then he said, I've got gifts for your family because she invited him to go to her house. He said, our family has straw and everything for your camels. We're all set up. So he goes over there with his men and they, they have a nice meal. But he said, before we eat, I want to tell you a story. Tells him about Abraham, his mission, how he met Rebecca and said, I would like to take Rebecca back for Isaac. They said, wow, this is incredible. He pulls out all kinds of gifts, maybe not as a bribe, but maybe. Gives them all kinds of gifts and they were all excited about the gifts that they're getting. And it's like, ah, 
wow, this is amazing. He says, I would like to take my trip on back and get home because he didn't like to stay on the road much, I guess. And he says, I'd like to go ahead and get back. And they said, could you leave Rebecca with us for about a week or 10 days? And he said, he said, how about we ask and let her decide? So they asked her, would you like to stay another week at your home here or would you like to go on back? And she said, no, I'd like to go on and get started back. And so they get started back. And for the sake of time, I'm going to blaze through the rest of this. On their way back, <clears throat> on their way back, she, she is moving along in this entourage of the 10 camels. On their way back, they're going to see Isaac out in the field. And so what I say to you with my last point is this. Have a wedding, but plan a marriage. Have a wedding, but plan a marriage. We almost do the reverse of that. We plan this wedding like it's a Super Bowl. Got to have the right dress, the right color flowers, the right cake, the right... And we need to be able to spend a lot of attention to this. But you know, you don't have to spend a million bucks on it. You don't even have to spend 50000 on it. You don't have to hire a band for 25000 as one of my friends said he was doing. You don't have to do that. As a matter of fact, one of my friends, they, they got married, wedding with tens of thousands, ended in a year. One of my other friends spent a few dollars, didn't have much to spend, a few dollars, just a little bit, and they've been married decades. Plan a marriage instead of just planning a wedding. Verse 67, they got married. He took his wife and he loved her. And they lived together for over a hundred years as husband and wife. Jim Dobson shared something that Pam and I have taken into our marriage literally and we use it often. If you ever feel like you're kind of getting a little out of focus, a little bit, a little bit stale or a little bit dry in your marriage, a little bit dull, and you need to kind of rev it up again, he said, go back to your early memories that bring a lot of joy to you or bring a lot of smiles to you or bring happy thoughts to you. Go back to that. And he said, and then just start talking about them out loud. So Pam and I start talking about some of those memories every once in a while. And it's amazing how it creates the, uh, the life and the new, new blood and the warmth in a relationship is a beautiful thing to be able to experience that. Abraham had refocused his faith. Now, as I was driving down 248 this week, Chuck Swindoll was given a mercy minute or a marriage minute, and he said mercy is a key ingredient to a great marriage that is going to last. When we went to the Holy Land, we um, took one trip where there's some people from South Carolina that joined us. Well, on both trips they did, but this particular one was a lady named Penny Louder. Penny and her husband, Shannon, had three children, and... She eats well, and she exercises well, a healthy woman. But on January 19th, she was rocked by a stroke. And so it just came out of the blue, just nailed her. She's only in her 40s, so she wasn't an old person. And so she's rocked. She can't walk very well. She was having to learn to do that again. And she posted this as my wife follows her online, and they post back and forth. This picture, this caption... She said, we made it to Union Street on Sunday. I was so, capitalized, happy. We did close to a total of two miles. I can never say enough about this amazing guy I married. He drops everything for me. My 5011 appointments never gets frustrated at me. 
and has been without a doubt my greatest cheerleader. She concludes with this. When you say the whole sickness and health line, like in your ceremony, you don't in that moment know what you're promising. But Shannon has found out he's the greatest husband ever. Wow. We have great examples of that across here. When that servant took off to go get Rebecca and bring her back, I can imagine that as they were on the trip back, he said, Beck, can I call you Beck? Yep. We're, on, we're first name basis now. We never do know his name, but we're on first name. So he said, I just want to tell you something. This guy you're going to, Abraham, going to be your father-in-law. He is really tight with God. I mean, the dude is tight. I mean, we even moved a long way away because he's tight with God. He sent us over to get you, so we did all this, right? But he also has his promise, and I'm just giving you a heads up. You are going to have kids running out. I mean, you're going to have some kids. I'm just letting you know, you all are going to father, you're going to parent, you're going to parent a nation. If it was dark enough, it's just starting to get dark now, he said. The sky would be with stars, you would see it and all that. They had no idea everything that was getting ready to happen. But do you know what your Bible teaches you? Your Bible teaches you several things about their marriage. They would bring about the Jewish nation through this marriage that we just talked about today. They would bring about Moses and David and Esther and Jesus Christ about 15 generations or more back. Great, 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 great grandmother. And Jesus, of course, brings our salvation. They would bring the Bible as we have it today. Eventually, we have the creation story. We have the Ten Commandments. We have the Psalms and the Proverbs. We have the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer and all of that. Are you kidding me? He hinged that on one little old prayer. Lord, let her offer me, let her offer me water for the camels. If Rebecca could talk to us this morning, I think Beck would say this. Go be generous when you serve God. You don't know what kind of blessings on the other side of it. He'll outdo any generosity you'll give him. Powerful message coming out of this. Lord Jesus, it's a good kind of quiet in here as people are thinking. And as our singers prepare now to lead us in a song and then we take communion following, may you guide us through every moment of this part of our service. Seal this word to our heart and may each person hear you and walk with you in kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.